Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Yeah, I, I speak in chapel at Cedarville to 3,000 students, but this is more intimidating. And I'll tell you why. I see Dr. Hammett sitting back there, and I, I had him for six classes at the master's level and two Ph.D. seminars, I believe, and he read my dissertation, and I know how much smarter he is than I will ever be. And I see Dr. Reed out here, who I had for evangelism, and I see Dr. Heimbach, who I had for ethics and I feel like there's a test after I get finished with this but I've got the degree it's on the wall so um and and I'm just gonna I'm a country preacher at heart God has put me in different places but I'm just gonna preach and enjoy myself is that all right with you guys and this is not I'm not here to impress anybody this is not a polished sermon this is something the Lord laid on my heart that I have never preached before and I was working on it on the airplane ride on the way down here so it's fresh, it's hot, it's on fire, it's ready to go. We're going to have a good time. But before we get there, let me say to all of you, I met my wife in the basement of this building. I know that's not a great place to meet. Maybe it is a great place to meet a wife. I don't know. It's worked out really well for me so far. So I learned theology walking this campus. God made himself real to me walking this campus. I sat right about where Walter's sitting in chapel every day at this campus, and I want to say to all of you, please don't take it for granted. The opportunity that you have to sit in classes with these great men of God who have studied and read and who are not only intellectual, but they have a passion for the gospel and a passion for Jesus, don't take it for granted. Make the most of your educational experience, and don't keep looking for the job that's the ultimate goal. Stay where you are and drive down deep and learn everything you possibly can and I learned as much outside the classroom through men like Dr. Mosley pouring into my life as I did inside the classroom. So get to know your professors. Uh, we, I don't even know if the Pizza Hut's still there. But we used to ask all of the professors out to lunch, and we would buy their lunch to get to pick their brain for an hour, an hour and a half. And that was some of the best. The professors are clapping. <laughs> I see that, yes. So make sure that you take advantage of this opportunity, and I'll quit now because I'm here to preach. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Open your Bible. Start turning there. We're going to be looking. We're going to drill down deep into, hopefully deep, into verses 23 through 29. So Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. That's where we're going to look this morning. So if you have your Bibles and I hear pages turning, which is music to a preacher's ears, open them up and turn. If you have devices, click on them and go past Angry Birds to the Bible app and, and meet me there in First Corinth or in uh, Hebrews 11. Just making sure you're listening. Hebrews 11, verse 23. Now let me set it up while you're walking there. You're there. I, I heard pages turning, so this is easy for you guys. If you look at this section in Hebrews chapter 11 and put it in its context, in the context of this chapter, in Hebrews chapter 10, you look and you see how the writer, the author of Hebrews, is talking about. In verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, 
in verse 23, it's let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. In verse 31, there's a scary verse where it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In verse 35, when you're setting up chapter 11, it says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. And so you see there's, there's an admonition here to persevere, to endure in the faith, to continue walking. And some of you, it's your first semester, you're brand new on campus, you're in shell shock, you come to chapel and everything's great and you think, oh, this is going to be easy. This is like summer camp all the time until you meet one of those tests, like a midterm from Dr. Harper or something of that nature. And then your faith is going to be questioned and challenged and you're going to identify with Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 12 and you're going to say, am I really supposed to be here? It, this is hard. Chapel's great. The test and the studying and the finances and the time management and all of this. And, and the Bible all of a sudden is now my textbook. And you've got to keep reading it for your personal devotion. And things get tough. And so I just want to encourage you that this chapter is set in the middle of a discussion where he talks about don't throw away your confidence which has great reward, verse 36, for you have need of endurance, that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 38, quoting back to Habakkuk, and also mentioned in Romans 1.17, but my righteous one shall live by faith. Verse 39, and this just should be said of us, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so I want to encourage you that it's by faith that you are going to persevere to get through to graduation. But it's also by faith that you're going to take that first step out onto the mission field or into the local church. And it's by faith that you're going to go through those difficult days. And so you start here with perseverance and now flip over to chapter 12. As you're setting the context for chapter 11, in verse 3 of chapter 12, you'll see it talks about not growing weary so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In verse 4, in your struggle against sin, which you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so maybe you're here today, and, and, and I think this is a great campus. You have a great president. I think you are a great student body. But in every student body, there are people struggling with sin issues. We know that. You know that. And perhaps your struggle is that you're trying to put to the past or put to the side a sin issue that's holding you back or clinging closely. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about it's your faith. It's by faith that you're not going to stop resisting those sin issues, those things which hold you back. You're going to put them away and you're going to keep struggling because God is worth it and it's your faith that is going to keep you trudging forward. So then in the middle of a context on perseverance and on struggle, the writer of the book of Hebrews puts Hebrews chapter 11. You know it as the chapter on the heroes of the faith. And it's a chapter where you have a beginning and an end that's set off in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and it's tied to commendation in verse 2. So you have faith and commendation in verses 1 and 2, and then when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, and you look at verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, you have commendation and faith again segmenting off this Hebrew section. So are you with me? Our chapter is set in the midst of persecution and perseverance and struggles and trials. With perseverance and persecution and struggles and trials. And inside of that, it's faith. 
And inside of that discussion of faith, he starts it by saying it's by faith you're commended. And he ends it by saying you're commended through faith. Now what he doesn't say is he doesn't say you're commended by your great works. In fact, in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says no one can draw near to God without faith. And so there's a point to be made and there's a point for all of us to think through. We're not commended. You're not commended because you came to Southeastern Seminary. You're not commended because you get an A on a systematic theology test. You're not commended because you went on a mission trip. You're not commended because you were a member of a local church. You're not commended because you walked down an aisle, prayed a prayer, shook a hand. You're not commended because you got in the waters and you got wet. You're not commended because of those things you did, even though all those things are good things and they may flow out of your faith. You are commended solely based along your faith that it comes by grace in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. And it's that faith that if you don't have that real faith, that you're going to struggle and you're going to wonder what in the world they're talking about when they talk about the Holy Spirit living within you, when they talk about loving to read the Word of God as your guidebook and getting to know the God that saved you and that redeemed you. If you don't have that faith, a personal faith, you're not going to understand what in the world they're talking about. You say, wait a second, is He really asking us to check our salvation? Convocation day, my first semester. I was sitting toward the back. It was first semester. I hadn't moved up to the front yet. I was, I, was still a good, I was still a good Baptist, not necessarily a good Southeastern Baptist up front. I was back here, and a buddy of mine named Rick Wiley got saved in chapel, convocation day at seminary. You can be at seminary and not be living by grace through faith. And so I challenge you today. Check your own heart. It's not by works. It's by faith we are commended. Inside, struggles and persecution, a section on faith. In this section on faith, he gives us a description in verse 1, assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. He goes through and he says, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham. And in this particular chapter, there are two individuals focused on. The first is Abraham who left not knowing where he was going, who offered up Isaac, and he moves forward. And then in verse 23, which is where we will camp out for the rest of the time, it talks about Moses, the second main individual. After he gets through with Moses, he goes to some events, and then he goes to a host of people, and then he concludes his chapter. So in verse 23 of chapter 11, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? By faith, Moses... When he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Dear Lord, we pray today that you will be exalted, that our faith will be challenged, and our faith will be strengthened, and that, Lord, 
we will leave this place knowing more about you or your word and wanting to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So the, the question I've got to answer as I start this off is what is faith? You can't walk through by faith mentioned five times in six verses and not define the word faith. So what is faith? Is faith a 1987 song by George Michaels? Professors laugh because they're as old as I am. They've heard the song, right? It's about that's a song's about a relationship with a girl, and maybe it will last. And you got to have faith that maybe it will last. That's not what we're talking about. Is is faith Indiana Jones in the movie stepping out to look forward, which I better not do because there's no rock pathway in between here, moving forward. Is that faith? Is faith questioning nothing and accepting with no questions? That's not what faith is. Faith, it tells us, is the assurance of things that we hope for, the convictions of things that we don't see. If you were to look up faith in your systematic theology book, you would find that Wayne Grudem defines faith as trust or dependence on God based on the fact that we take Him at His word and believe what He has said. If you were to look at a far better systematic theology, theology for the church, with a great editor and great contributors, you would find that faith is described by Ken Keithley as faith substantiates belief, giving substance, reality, or activity to belief. Faith puts belief into action. Faith acts on what you believe. And so when we talk about faith, basically what we're talking about in a simplified term is trusting God and His Word. So when you think about the text that we've looked at today, it was by trusting in God and His Word that Moses was hidden for three months by his parents. It was by trusting in God and His Word that Moses then refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was by trusting in God and His Word that he thought the reproach of Christ was better than all the treasures of Egypt. It was by trusting God and His Word that He left Egypt not being afraid. You look at how trusting God and His Word changes the way you live your life. It changes the way that you perceive reality. And so the main point of the text today, the central idea that I want to drive home to you, is that faith does not choose the temporary or the temporal over the eternal. Faith chooses the eternal over the temporary. You've come to school to read a lot, to study a lot, to hopefully learn a lot. Why did you do that? Because you think what you're going to be studying is important, and it's important for eternal significance. It's faith. It's trusting in God and His Word. And we see here in verse 23 that by faith... When Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents. So verse 23 would be the faith of Moses' parents. It's not his faith. He didn't do it as a baby. All he did was he was born. But as he was born, you see here a different way to look at a child. When he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful. Now what this does not mean is it does not mean if he was an ugly baby, they would have thrown him in the river. You've seen babies, right? And we all say all babies are beautiful, but you've really seen some babies that you, you better not say they're ugly because mom and dad will take MMA vengeance out upon your soul if you do that. But when you see that baby, every baby's beautiful to mom and dad, but there's some ugly babies out there, right? I mean, if you've seen a baby that's just born, 
that head is not shaped right. There's some weird stuff going on, and you're wondering if Alien is really a legit movie instead of somebody's imagination. And, and you, what the text is not saying to us is that if Moses had a cone-shaped head and had a little, little red spot on his face or something, they would have chunked him in the river and said, let's try again. That's not it. What this word means when you dig into it is that they looked and by faith they saw there was something special. There was something larger and it's a difficult way to define it, but it's almost like they just knew God had a special purpose. And you'll notice here in Hebrews 11 it says parents plural. Now if you go back to Exodus you understand the mom was involved through the activity that we had. But here we understand it says parents and so both parents are involved in this and it was by his parents he was hidden for three months. Now I understand this having kids. You could hide a baby for three months. Because a baby, when they're, when they're young, they're kind of like an amoeba. They do very little. They eat, and they make dirty diapers, and that's about all they do. But about three months, they start making a lot more noise and getting a lot more active. And so they hid this baby for three months, and then they took other action. But they hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful. And notice this part. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, part of what I want to do as I trace down through here is talk to you about what faith will reject and what faith will accept. And here we see that faith rejects the king's edict. The king, Pharaoh, looked at these children and they said, Egyptians, the uh, Israelites are growing too great. They're growing in too many number. We've got to get rid of them. So he called in the midwives. He said to the midwives, if it's a male, kill it. They didn't do that because they fear God. So then he said, take them all and throw them into the river. Get rid of them. Throw them into the river. Now, maybe this is just my twisted, sinful nature, but they kind of obeyed it because they put him in a basket and throwed him in the river in the bulrushes. So they kind of twistedly obeyed what the command was three months late in a little bit different way. But, but they did kind of obey it. But you see Pharaoh's action here is that the children were a curse. They were an obstacle. They were something to be overcome. They were not a blessing. And you see here that Moses' parents looked at this child and they saw a blessing. They saw something to be valued. They saw something to be redeemed. And so part of what we see when we trust God and trust His Word is that children are not something that will inhibit us from having free time, although they may do that. They're not something that will take away our money, although they may do that. They're not something that will just cause us pain, although at times they may do that. Children are a blessing from God and to be valued and it's a resource that we should thank God for every time He blesses us with children. And so faith here rejected what the king said do and looked at this child as God talked about children as a blessing before the Lord. Our society does not see children as a blessing. Between birth control to prevent having them, between daycares to ship them off to, between schools to educate them, and everything else we do in our society, we do not view children as a blessing. And that's not even talking about abortion, which started the year I was born. So in my lifetime, over 50 million babies have been killed. We don't see children as a blessing, but God does. If you have faith, if you trust in God and His Word, you should view children as a blessing, not as a burden. Faith also rejected the words of Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a command, he had an edict, he said, do something. And here faith rejected that. Why? Because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. It says here, they were not afraid of the king's edict. We live in a time where right now, 
at Cedarville. We're taking precautions. We're taking steps in our doctrinal statement and in our bylaws to try to protect the institution against the government coming in and saying you have to affirm same-sex attraction or you have to affirm homosexuality or you have to affirm transgender orientation. I think in your lifetime, perhaps in my lifetime, but in our ministries, I think what we will see is the government say, if you say homosexuality is a sin before God, that they're going to call you saying illegal hate speech, bigoted, and we may have to go to jail in order to preach what God's Word actually says, specifically on the matter of homosexuality, transgender orientation. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to go out and be a pastor of a local church and have somebody in that town say, if you preach against homosexuality, you will go to jail. And at that moment... The only thing that's going to allow you to stand firm for God's Word is going to be your faith. Are you willing to go to that local church or to go to that mission field or to go overseas where the name of Christ has never been heard before and you know if they catch you telling somebody about Jesus and about the gospel and you're presenting the gospel, there's a good chance they're going to come and they're going to take you and they're going to put you in a jail and it may actually cost you your life. Are you willing by faith then at that point to say God is sovereign and God is in control and it's by faith that I'm going to stand and I'm going to preach the gospel even if it costs me my job, even if it costs me my life, whatever it costs me, I fear God more than I fear Pharaoh's commands or the laws of this nation or the laws of any other nation. God has said to me, go and share the gospel, so I will go and share the gospel. Are you there? It's by faith. It's only by faith. It's the faith of Moses' parents, and it transitions here in verse 24. It says, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So faith here rejected a title. The son of Pharaoh's daughter is a title that would have been utilized, and it was a high title. And now you think about this. He rejected being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You know, I've sat where you were. I've been in the classes. I've had goals and ambitions to have positions or titles. But here we see Moses rejecting the title, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It's a quick read. It's the Cliff Notes version. It's the 100,000-foot view. But zoom in on it and think about what actually is taking place and what's happening here in this text. Moses lives in the absolute best place he could possibly live. Moses was educated. He had money. He was comfortable. He had a life that we all would look at and say, now he has it going on. He's got everything he needs. This guy has it. And yet when he gets older, he refuses to identify with the title, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, we don't know how long he was in his parents' house. We don't know how long it was that she, she nursed him. We're not told exactly. But something in that upbringing, something in that rearing, had instilled in him the fact that he was an Israelite and that he served the one true God so that when this time came, he was able to make a decision when he was older and he was able to say, I'm going to reject that title. I'm going to walk away from being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm going to identify with the people of God. I'm going to resist the fleeting pleasures of sin and I'm going to choose the reproach of Christ. Is that where you are today? Are you willing to walk away from a title to identify with the people of God? Are you willing to walk away from the fleeting pleasures of sin for the reproach, for the disgrace, for the criticism, 
of Christ and being identified with Him. I think that's why you're here. But I think we do that by faith, and it's good to be reminded that it's always by faith. It's by trusting God, and it's by trusting His Word that He refused to have that title, and He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Let me just draw this out a little bit. And I move here a little bit from knowing exactly what the text says to to a little bit of a holy imagination. So can I have a little license for our little holy imagination? Can you imagine what Moses went through? Moses talking to his mom, Pharaoh's daughter, the adopted mother. I'm going to leave. Moses, don't you understand? I'm the one that got you out of the river in a basket when you were a little bitty baby. I'm the one that paid for you to be taken care of. I'm the one that educated you. I'm the one that brought you up in this house. I'm the one that nursed you. And do you think Moses ever in his mind had a little bit of confliction about leaving Pharaoh's daughter in order to go and identify with the people of God and identify with the reproach of Christ. I remember sitting over in the Ledford Center when I was a student here, and I remember a fellow student by the name of Travis, and Travis wanted to go on the mission field. And he was dead set that he needed to go on the mission field. But Travis's parents were not believers in Christ. And Travis's parents had told him that if you go on the mission field, you're disobeying us. And, and they had said, doesn't the Bible say you should honor your father and your mother? And we as your father and your mother are telling you don't go on the mission field. We don't want you to go there. And the real reason as we drilled down into why they didn't want him on the mission field is they wanted grandbabies at home so they could play with grandbabies so they could see grandbabies all the time. And they didn't want to sacrifice that opportunity for grandbabies so that they could go on the mission field to tell somebody about Jesus that had never heard the name of Christ so that another people would rejoice and serve our great and mighty God. Maybe you're here today in that same situation. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that you ignore wise advice from parents. But I do suggest to you that sometimes lost parents don't have the same biblical understanding and biblical worldview so that you may have to at times trust God and His Word even when that respectfully means telling your parents that you're going to choose the things of the eternity over the things of the temporal nature. Moses rejects being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses chooses to be mistreated with the people of God. You know, there's, there may be some of you here. And if I ask you, what are you going to do when you graduate? You'd say, I don't, I don't know for sure. But I know I'm going back home. I have fellow classmates like that all the time. What are you going to do when you graduate? I don't know, but... And I'm from a small town in South Carolina, and that's where I'm going back to. And so when I graduate, I am sending all of my resumes to those three counties and 400 people that are all related. <laughs> right there. I can say that. I'm from South Carolina. Any other South Carolina? Yeah, I'm there. All right. You know, there, there comes times where sometimes we have, to, we have to cut the cord. And when we say... I'm going to reject the title. I'm going to reject what's comfortable. Because maybe the fleeting pleasures of sin here is not necessarily some sinful act that we would talk about. So much so as this the comfort of being in Pharaoh's palace and having all of your meals set forward and sleeping with the nice sheets or all of these different things that we call comfortable. And maybe it's saying, I don't want to be comfortable anymore. I want to, by faith, step out and follow God. And so it's by faith then that Moses walks out and identifies himself with the people of God. It's by faith he 
pushes aside the comfort that perhaps we would associate with as the comfortable American dream, and he pushes that comfortable dream aside, and he says, God, I'm going to follow you. Now, don't mishear me this morning. I'm not saying there's anything sinful about having a nice house or a nice car or anything like that. But what I'm saying to you is if that gets in the way of you living by faith, if that gets in the way of you serving God, if that gets in the way and you're not willing to let it go, then it's become an idol, and that idol then has become your God. And if your God is living in luxury or going back home or being comfortable, then you're not serving the one true God because that's the God that called Abraham to leave his homeland to go to a foreign place that caused Moses to identify with the people of God. That's the God that all the time calls us to uncomfortable situations so that by faith we can do great things for His glory. That's what the calling is. By faith, He refused or rejected a title. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God. And He refused to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Are you there? You know, I would, when I came here, first, second semester, somebody asked me what I wanted to do, and here's what I told them. This is really what I wanted to do. I want to get my MDiv degree, never wanted to get a PhD, never even had that thought in my mind when I came here. And I said, I want to go back to South Carolina, and I want to be a local church pastor where I can hunt and fish and call it men's ministry. I got one brother identifying with me right here. <laughs> He's there. That was the dream, right? Never in a million years did I ever anticipate I would be sent as a missionary to a foreign nation called Texas. <laughs> and when I showed up in Texas and I presented my North Carolina driver's license and the lady looked at it and she looked at me and she goes, I'm sorry. And I said, sorry for what? She goes, you weren't born in Texas. <laughs> so then, God sends me to the frozen tundra of the Arctic, where it was minus 30 degrees windchilled, which I now have converted to Dante's view of what Hades is going to be like. It's not going to be hot, it's going to be cold, and, and freezing cold, and... And, and now I'm, I'm up north, and it gets cold in the wintertime up there. And I never imagined what God would do or where God would send. And what I want to challenge you to right now is if you're about to graduate, if it's your first semester, if it's your second semester, and in your mind you're thinking, I'm going to go back here, and I'm going to serve in this location, and, hey, I've got flexibility. I can serve in North Carolina, South Carolina, or Georgia. I'm flexible. Then... <laughs> I want to say to you, cut the cord. Cut the cord. Your president has been challenging you to go and to pray, not why should I stay here, but to pray. Or to pray, why should I stay in America? Why shouldn't I go overseas to where people haven't heard the gospel? And I want to challenge you to have an open mind so that by faith you can reject what would be comfortable and you can go wherever God wants you to go. He considered the reproach, the disgrace of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. He was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid. All right, now by faith, I've got to do this and got to do it quickly. He left Egypt not being afraid. 
there's disagreement over what this really means. Was this the first time he left Egypt after he killed the Egyptian? Probably not, because in the text in Exodus it tells us that he left because he was afraid, and so I don't think that matches up too well. So the other view is that it was the last time he left, but that's complicated because uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews does a good job keeping the history of salvation in line, and so if he does that, he gets him leaving out of order because the Passover comes next. And so we're not real sure exactly what this means. I have my own view, but very few other people hold it. So that means you should put a big question mark beside it and study it for yourself. Is that I think it encompasses all of those times where he went and he talked to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh actually said to him on like the ninth plague, Get out of my sight. Don't ever see my face again. And Moses responds back and he says, Fine, I will never see your face again. And then you come to the tenth and there's heated anger as Moses leaves. And I think Moses at that point had been so emboldened. Moses, the person, who left and stood before the burning bush and said, God, I'm not that smart. God, I don't talk that well. God, they're not going to believe me. All of these excuses. And he finally goes, and now he's talking to Pharaoh, and he's saying, fine, Pharaoh, I'm never going to see your face again. And so I think here is talking about all of those. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. He didn't fear the king anymore because he encountered the one true king, and his fear was of God Almighty and not anybody on this earth that could kill the body. He was afraid of the God who had died for him, the God who had redeemed him, even even though it hadn't happened yet, he was looking forward because it was the reproach of Christ. And Christ wasn't there when Moses was, was in existence, but he was looking forward to what Christ was going to do so that he was saved by faith in the coming Christ, just like we're saved by faith looking back upon what Jesus has done for us. And here he wasn't afraid. Oh, brothers and sisters, by faith, don't fear anybody on this earth. Fear only God. He endured as seeing Him who is invisible. That goes back to Hebrews 11.1 1, where it talks about conviction of things not seen. God's not seen, but He believed and endured as seeing Him who is invisible. And then thirdly here, it moves from the faith of Moses' parents to the faith of Moses personally to the faith of Moses in his leadership. And by faith He kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You know the story of the Passover. You know how the Passover foreshadows Jesus dying on the cross. But have you ever thought about Moses implementing the Passover? Hey, guys, come here. Get together. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take and we're going to kill a sheep that costs us money. So faith is going to cost us something. And then we're going to take that blood and we're going to spread that blood over the doorpost. And that's going to make sure that the angel doesn't kill our firstborn. And so it's going to pass over our house. And that's going to be our plan. And that's how we're going to get out of Egypt. If that were a flag football play, all the other team would have looked at him and said, next play. Everybody would have looked at him as leader and said, what are you thinking here? You know, if he were serving as a Baptist church pastor, they would have looked at him and they would have said, Pastor, you don't understand. We've never done it that way before. And here by faith, Moses had the conviction and the courage to say, I'm going to do what God has called me to do, and this is what God has told me to do, and not only am I going to do it, this is what you're going to do too. And they did it. Imagine the conviction and the courage and the faith it took to lead in such a way that they actually implemented the Passover. They sprinkled the blood, the firstborn Passover, and then in verse 29, which some people will separate, but I want to include, because it's part of Moses' leadership, even though it's an event, and it's by faith that all the people then, because of the faith of Moses and what God had poured into him and into the people, it's by faith, trusting in God and His Word, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. 
by faith, he led them up to, a, up to the Red Sea. And they were surrounded. The army's coming in on the other side. There's nowhere to go. It's a bad move. It's not a good move. And they're sitting here. And he looks at them. And they all look at Moses as the leader in Exodus. And they say to him, did you bring us out here so we die because there's nowhere to bury us in Egypt? We would have been better off to be their slaves. We would have been better off to be a slave to sin than have to get out and face this obstacle that's ahead. And Moses says, don't complain. Trust in God. Have faith. He's going to open up the way. And God opens up the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground. And it's by faith that at that moment, they really were hoping that the water didn't cave in. It was the conviction and the assurance of things hoped for. Let's hope the water stays to the side. They walked through trusting in God, and they made it all the way to the other side. The Egyptians follow behind, and they say, we're Egyptians, let's go get them. And they try to do it in their own power, and what happens? The waters come in, and they are drowned, and they are destroyed, and they are swallowed up. If you try to live this life or do ministry in your own power, you're going to be swallowed up. If you trust in the power of God, He will do great things through you, greater things than you ever thought He could possibly do. Now let me thread this theological needle home and then maybe I'm done. I get on an airplane yesterday and I'm sitting, in, it's got, I've got a, trans, uh, a, a connection to make in Philadelphia and the person sitting to my right has rosary beads out and is rubbing the rosary beads praying now, I don't know that that necessarily means she was praying to the rosary beads, but that's what's happening while I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 11 by faith. The lady to my left has Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. You can't make this stuff up. Interesting conversations, but I don't have time to tell you about them. I get on my next connection from Philadelphia to Raleigh-Durham. And I do, I do what I typically do. I try to start a conversation so I can share the gospel. And then after I share the gospel, they usually don't want to talk to me anymore. And I get some work done. And it, or they get saved and we have a Holy Ghost party. Whichever way it works out okay, all right? I meet a guy named Albert Mutamba. I'm talking about Hebrews 11. And he is from France and he speaks French. And so we're having broken communication about Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm pointing out a fact in the overarching chapter of Hebrews 11 that faith does not guarantee you an easy road in this life but faith overcomes even the difficult roads of this world. And so I'm talking about Abel. Who wants to be like Abel? Abel had faith. Abel died. Who wants to be like Moses? 120 years, he's building a boat. He gets very few converts. He and his family get on the boat. Who wants to be at the end of this chapter like those who are sawn into, those who are persecuted, those who are jailed? It's not that faith guarantees you an easy, easy time or an easy life. And we're having this conversation, and he keeps pointing me back to verses that talk about how it's our faith that overcomes. It's our faith that overcomes. And I'm saying, God, are you trying to show me something through this guy that maybe I need to thread the needle to say our faith overcomes the world more? But at the same time, I don't want you to think faith automatically means success or prosperity. And so I'm trying to, to look at that balance and I'm thinking through this and he says let me write my information down on you the guy that I talked to for an hour and 25 minutes is the pastor of the mountain of fire and miracles ministry it's a prosperity preacher the reason this chapter is in beside trials and persecutions and trials and persecutions is you will have trials and persecutions but be of good cheer for he has overcome the world it's not that we're going to have success in this life, but it's that we serve a God that's going to one day set this earth like it should be, and for all eternity we're going to serve a God that is worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. And you may not need this sermon right now, and you may not need to know it's by faith right now, but as soon as you get to Harper's midterm, you're going to need to know it's by faith. 
And so I joke and I jest, but if you want to live life for Christ, it's not always going to be easy. And so you think about it. What allows us to overcome this world? First John tells us it's by faith that we have overcome. My challenge, my encouragement to you, it's by faith. You can overcome whatever this world throws at you. But remember to focus on trusting God and His Word. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You for the fact that You have given us Your Word as a record, as a testimony, that You have pointed us back to the Old Testament saints who, Lord, provide such a great testimony of faith in so many ways. And God, we pray that even in the hard and difficult times, we would lean and trust on Your Word and on what You have done for us and not on ourselves. And we pray that You would get the glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.